Good morning. Good morning. Nobody wants to talk. <laughs> I'm not putting any Coronas in the air. Um, no, that one. My jokes fall flat anymore. I, I feel like it's the uh, you know late night uh, talk shows with no laugh track. I need a laugh track. Um, Jeremy, can you pull one up? I need a laugh track. Like good, robust laughter. Like the room's full, which it's not. Um, so I'm going to share. I still have my mask on. How about that? I'm going to share a few things with you today. Uh, Scott has already let me know that he has lunch plans, and he's going to leave early if I don't finish up. So, you know, that's the kind of support we get up here. Karen has no Karen doesn't know anything about lunch, Scott, so I don't know who you're having lunch with, but it not, apparently it's not your wife. That's not good. Anyways, I didn't mean to cause that havoc. He's No, Karen's driving. <laughs> you can walk. I love it. Um, before I get started, today we're going to be talking about rethinking the church, and Scott told me that because I told him we're going to be talking about the church since the 1700s, um, so stay, stay with me. But I have, I do actually have a lot of stuff I want to share with you that I think is pertinent, and um, and there's a, a part of scripture that talks about the time that we're in that I think is really good for us to chat about, and then I have some invitations for you to be involved in a few different ways. Um, but as we're coming into to Thanksgiving this week, uh, it is a weird Thanksgiving. Our ability to go out and be different places, um, like we've canceled some of our Thanksgiving plans, and you've probably canceled. Some of yours or all of your Thanksgiving plans, I don't know. Um, I think Waffle House might have Thanksgiving available. I don't know. Um, I could That would work for me. But just with all this going on with uh, COVID, it has changed so many of our patterns. And it's been happening for so long now. Like some of these patterns may change back and likely will, and some may not. Um, one of the patterns we're going to continue is we're going to continue to celebrate Jesus at Christmas, and we're all, one of the ways that we're going to do that is we are going to continue with a Christmas giving initiative that we do every year, and they've looked different um, different years, but there are two opportunities um, that you can participate in this this year. One is with Room in the Inn, and the other is through the Red Bank Food Pantry. Um, so I, things are more difficult um, with not meeting in person as many. I mean, we do. We have several people in the room, but a lot of folks are not doing in person right now. Uh, but there are some ways that you can give and bring it to the church, and you can still participate. Each year for the last few years, we have tried to participate with Room in the Inn, which is a great ministry that is uh, not just a shelter for homeless women and their children, which is unique, but a place where they learn life skills, they receive training, they're taken care of, and then they follow them through usually a year path uh, to actually get them on the place of being able to provide for themselves, moving into their own place, and being able to transition to taking care of themselves. And so we have the opportunity, like we have in years past, to adopt one of the families that um, is now transitioning. Um, so if you would be interested in helping provide Christmas for them, because they're still starting out is very difficult. Uh, it is hard to start with nothing. When you've got to come up with deposits and first and last month's rents and uh, taking care of uh, your utilities and, um, and then just food and clothes and all the things that go on, we sometimes stress over the amount of money that we have to just spend now, and we have those things taken care of. But when you're starting out, it can be almost overwhelming. So we have an opportunity to do that. And we have a Sign Up Genius link on our website. Now, you can find that at journeychattanooga.com forward slash Christmas. Um, and so if you would like to sign up, and there, it's a mom and her children, and you can sign up for some specific needs. There are specific sizes there. And if you could go ahead and sign up as quickly as possible so we know what's taken care of. And if something happens and you're not able to participate, you sign up, and then you're like, you know what? Things have gotten tighter. I can't help. If you would just let us know, um, then... We'll take that sign up off, and that way we'll make sure it's covered because we want to make sure we provide a, a good Christmas for them. Um, 
And that Christmas is not just play stuff. Some of it is play stuff because sometimes we just need play stuff. Some of it is just necessity stuff. Uh, but the second opportunity that you can participate, especially if you have children, um, is through the Red Bank Food Pantry. And we're, we are participating with other churches who are doing this as well through kind of a reverse Advent calendar. Now, when I grew up, an Advent calendar meant the first Sunday or the first day of December, we got this, uh, you know, big cardboard card. Like now kids get like things with chocolate in them and gifts in them and stuff like that. We didn't have that stuff. We got to open a little window and saw a little cartoon character in there and we were happy. We thought this was the most wonderful time of year. Let's we get to open another window and see a little cartoon elf or something. Um, a reverse Advent calendar is not one where we get something each day of Advent. It's where we give something each day of Advent. Now there are two ways that you, you can um, find this list, but we have some of these lists printed up in the lobby. Uh, and you can grab one if you want, or you can download it also, journeychattanooga.com forward slash Christmas. You can download it, and there are uh, just a number of items on this list that if you would put a box together with your family, and you can you don't have to do this each day. Like, you don't have to go to the store every day. You can just go get it all at one time, or you can give a couple of days' worth of stuff, or whatever. You can participate in whatever amount you want to. Um, we, you, and bring that here by Wednesday, December 23rd, which right now is going to be when our Christmas Adam service is, uh, then we'll make sure all those things get to the food pantry. Their numbers of people that they're reaching is growing exponentially, and we don't really expect that to change. Um, when the first stimulus checks came out, we kind of dropped down to you know a couple hundred people they were serving each week. I think uh, Ken, the pastor of Red Bank and I Methodist, said in the last distribution they were close to 1,500 families or 1,500 individuals, not families, but individuals that were being um, helped. So the need is going to continue to increase. This is just a fun way to do it with your kids and that you can, or if you don't have kids, you don't have to have kids to do this, um, but it does meet some of those needs. We may, we may do like a, um, an award for anybody that fills the whole thing up because there's toilet paper is on this list. And I don't know if you can find toilet paper. Like, there ought to be, you ought to get something special if you find toilet paper that you can put in here, right? But anyways, two opportunities, journeychattanooga.com forward slash Christmas. We'd love for you to participate. It's a little different Christmas this year, but, um, but we would love for you to participate in that. All right. Um, you can find that again, this list online or um, in the foyer, and you can find the sign up genius link um, online and you can sign up today um, just to have it here by December. Well, I, I said December 23rd for the food box. We need to have, I can't remember what the date and Kathleen and their family are doing online today. So I can't remember the date we said that this had to be back. I think it's like, th- thank you, December 13th. Thank you. So we need to have those gifts for Room in the Inn here by December 13th. Okay. That's that. I want to talk to you about the state of the church, and I've couched it in the terms of rethinking the church. Um, And some of you are tuning in because you're curious, is Journey going to be here next week? And I assure you, it will. Uh, But I want to talk about the church, not just what's going on at Journey, but I want to talk about the church as a whole, because um, a lot of people are talking about this. And most of the emails and phone calls and conversations I have are very negative. The church is doing very badly. Um, and that actually is not new. We've had been having that conversation for a long time. But there are some really wonderful opportunities in the midst of a pandemic. And we're still struggling with how we respond to it. So I'm going to do one now, stay the church now. And then I'm going to do another one um, when hopefully things have, for the most part, ended. Uh, and how we move forward. I want to talk to you about where the church has been, where the church is going. I want to talk about some of the things that happened during the Spanish flu, which happened in 1918 for two years through 1920. What effect did it have on the church? What things can we learn from that for us today? I want to talk to you about a very specific group of people mentioned in Scripture called the tribe of Issachar, uh, which were um, heralded for a very specific reason that I think is very applicable for us today. And then I want to invite you to be a part of a process of us rethinking some things as we think about what life is going to be moving forward. I am going to be talking about some attendance numbers. I, I want you to take those with a grain of salt. Um, we are not 
trying to uh, uh, ascertain the health of the church based on the number of people that show up at the church in the middle of a pandemic. So we know there are lots of reasons that people are not attending. We are still struggling through. Do we go back online only or not? Uh, It's been nine months since we tried to flatten the curve. And about six, seven weeks ago, we had about 590 active cases in Chattanooga. And as of Friday night, um, there were 2,208 active cases in Chattanooga. Our schools are going back to two a day, or two a day. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Two a day school days. Two days a week uh, in which they go for two days in class. If you're in public schools, they do online for three days. And if we reach a threshold of around 2,500 or 2,600 active cases, the schools are going to shut down and they're going to be all online. We are 400 cases away from that. Uh, We grew by 1,000 cases last week. So we doubled. We went from 1,000 to 2,000 in one week. So these are things we are considering. And we are also considering just the health of people. Because some are, are staying away due to health concerns uh, or just their job requires them to make sure that they don't come in contact. Some are just in need of being with people, <laughs> right? There are many of us who just, we just want to be with people right now. Um, Martin Luther said uh, in the middle of the plague that swept through Europe. I, if you need me to go to the front lines and to care for people, I will go to the front lines and care for people. And if you need me to stay home uh, so as not to spread this plague, then I will stay home and not spread this plague. And we are still trying to balance all of these things. It it is. Whose sermon are you listening to over there? (laughs) Leslie? Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So... If you want to watch another church while you're here with us today, you can do that too, right? <laughs> Whoo, doggies. All right. Here, here's what we've been through. Here, there's a volume button on the side, volume button. One, the bottom one, bottom one. All right. Um, here's where we've been through. Nine months ago, it started happening. We started having these cases coming in. We flatten the curve for two weeks, then we can squash this thing before it gets started. That was nine months ago. We're in wave two. I'm going to share with you some things from the Spanish flu that we can learn from the early 20th century. There were four waves of the Spanish flu. We're in wave two. And that doesn't mean we're going to go into four waves. But as we look back at what has happened, we have lots of advantages. We have a lot Uh, more advanced technology and medicine. And we have viruses now that apparently seem to be working if we can get them to people. There are lots of reasons for us not to expect this to be as bad as the Spanish flu was, um, if you're familiar with that, which affected way more people than this has. Uh, But we are still in the middle of it here. We don't know how much the coronavirus is going to affect us because we aren't at the end yet. Our relationships have been stretched And they've been stretched for a while. And they've not just been stretched because we've quarantined or because we've done school at home. Um, They're not just stretched uh, because we're trying to figure out work and we don't see people that we care about and it feels like we're kind of losing touch. We also had George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor all happened during this time, which flared the race tensions up, and we've talked about those. And for some, that's been a very healthy conversation. For others, been very unhappy with that conversation. It's created tension and, and, and uncertainty. When we, anytime we bring up justice topics in the church, there's always going to be a mixed response to that. It's just the way that it is, the way people are. And if all of that wasn't enough, we had perhaps the most contentious election we've ever had in the history of our nation that's still happening right now. We are tense and tired and frustrated and anxious. There's a lot of uncertainty about where we're headed and what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty um, within the church. There's a lot of uncertainty within our church. There's a lot of uncertainty about just our friendships. Are some of our friendships ending as a result of this? 
And what I want to do over these next few minutes is I want to peel back um, kind of the layer of my thinking and or several of those layers and kind of share with you some of the things that we are talking about as a group of pastors around our city because we have developed a, a really pretty great network of relationships between churches in our city. And uh, we're having these conversations, and I want to involve you in them because I think they're important. Before I get into all of that, uh, you're probably most interested in is how is Journey doing? So I want to get this out of the way because I don't want you to interpret everything else I say based on how our church is doing. And, and I would say our church is doing. How's that? We're doing. Like every other church, we're struggling through lots of decisions and lack of ability to do some of the things that are meaningful to us. We, at this point, would have been serving in lots of different ways in our community, and though um, some opportunities we've stopped for now, we are still participating at the Red Bank Food Pantry, and we're a heavy, heavy participating church of the Red Bank Food Pantry. Uh, We are there for multiple things, from handing out food to packing bags to providing food. Um, We participate there a lot, and so that's been a a need that has continued to grow um, each week and probably will continue to grow for the next few weeks. Many of our folks at Journey are frontline attenders to those who are struggling, who are sick in the medical profession. And they're giving of themselves and putting themselves at risk and uh, caring for people that are hurting uh, and people who are sick and not sure what toll or effect that's going to have on themselves. But they are there, and they, um, we need to support them and encourage them. And that, that is something we should celebrate is the number of folks in our church that are, are helping those who are hurting today. Uh, we are looking for more ways to serve and care for our community, just like the food pantry, just like Room in the Inn. Um, We want to get back to doing work days for Widow's Harvest. And there are many ways for us in the coming weeks, months, um, and years for us to really find ways to give to our community. We're heavily involved in the conversation citywide, which has become statewide now on race, uh, including uh, kind of a, a budding relationship with our governor's office as Chattanooga has made great strides uh, more than many other, more than really any other city in our in our state has, and so we continue to move forward talking about race, and being a part of that. There are other justice issues that are going to continue to come up as churches work together and partner together. We're a heavy part of that conversation. You've endured uncomfortable conversations here. My friend Troy came in our. Uh, First week of the conversation of what do we see, he titled his sermon, White Domestic Terrorism. And while some definitely were not happy that week, many of you have been very supportive, understanding that learning a different perspective is not easy. And so you have endured some hard conversations. And I recognize that. I'm proud of our church for that. A lot of you have overcome fear and anxiety. You've been um, continuing to participate in whatever way you're able to. That's not Leslie. Not Leslie. All right. Okay. Uh, And you have continued to support our church. Uh, I've gotten lots of calls, texts, and emails, cards. uh, Very encouraging, and I appreciate that. Uh, And, you know, you have worked to love each other in a time where it's hard to love each other. Uh, we've been through some staff changes in that uh, both our children's uh, director and our youth pastor stepped down for different reasons. And so we have change happening in the midst of all the other change happening that we're going through. And my wife has stepped in with children and Scott has stepped in with youth. And um, and we've continued to do, I believe, good ministry in, in those areas, the best we can for children. <laughs> Um, until we're able to be in person again. Uh, We've started uh, meeting with college students, and it's been a joy for me to hear from our college students, although this has not been a joy of a season for them as they've struggled through school. I don't know of a single student who says, I love this. They all hate it. They all hate it. This is a struggle. Um, You have been financially generous to our church. And um, while many 
Um, words out there are saying that uh, the church is in trouble and they're going to fall apart and they're going to close and they're going to die. You have been faithful to our church. And just to share you some of the numbers, uh, let's go to that next slide. Where have we been in our giving for this year? Uh, if you'll remember in our conversations past, um, we really need to be in the the ten dollars to $12,000 range a month to cover all our bills, though some of those bills have been lessened during this time. We've had some very generous gifts in addition to regular giving that has happened. And while we started a little slow in January, February was more than what we needed. March, when the, the quarantining started, we were right about where we had to be to get through a month. And then the next few months were very generous months, even in the midst of uncertainty and unsure what's going to happen next. Uh, November, we're pretty slim here in November. Uh, we have uh, today's giving and next week's giving. Um, but we have been able to put some back to prepare for things to continue to slide if people continue to be out of work. Although I don't know of anyone in our church that is out of work. Um, that can't work right now. So there may be some, and if I don't know, I'd love to hear from you and because we want to be a part of uh, blessing you as well. So you can see financially, we've done pretty well this year as far as our ability to continue to do ministry throughout the pandemic. Um, I expect, as many churches are experiencing, that number may drop as, as our relational ties continue to lessen. But I want to encourage you to continue to support what we're doing here, and we will continue um, to do our best to be prepared for the time that this is all over. Um, Attendance-wise, you know, we started off with a heavy presence online and, and uh, for people watching live, and, and that's kind of diminished. Uh, I know a lot of people are watching it at other times now and have created new patterns of when they do church. And our attendance here is... You know, you just we can't judge anything by, based on the in-person attendance during the pandemic. And then are we even able to continue doing in-person? Do we need to go back to online only just to be responsible moving forward? I will say of all the churches I've talked to, we take more precautions in keeping people safe than any other church I know. Um, requiring masks is not fun, I know. I hate them. But... We have not yet had a case that I know of in our church or a person that has been exposed at our church throughout the time that we've been back in person since July. And so those precautions along with distancing, you guys do a, a good job of distancing and with uh, the all the sanitizer and things that we're doing, we have, I feel, done as well as anybody could have done in making sure we don't have an outbreak here. So we've been pretty safe. I know a lot of churches aren't doing these precautions or they're, they're very laxed. And in many, many of our churches, there have been outbreaks as a result. So you all have been faithful for that and good for that. And um, I know you've been patient because you hate masks too. All right. Um, so Journey is doing as well as any church is doing right now. Uh, we've had some guests join us. We've had some new faces um, that have begun participating, and we're really excited about that. Uh, we've had some people that have joined us just because we are doing in-person services, and a lot of people still are not. But um, but things are, I would say, as good as they can be. Our ladies group has started back, and I know those relationships are, are rebuilding, and they're spending time together on Zoom. Some are, are doing Zoom here together, so if people want to be in person, they can do Zoom with the rest of the group together, um, and we will be looking for opportunities to continue to, to involve each other in whatever way we can do groups together moving forward. We found at the end of the spring, Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Can I get an amen? Yeah, for those of you that regularly are doing online um, video conferencing, it, whew, mm, it's not the same. It's something. It's not the same. How are people in general doing? I want to move away from Journey, and I really just want you to know we are praying and thinking, and you are being faithful, and we are looking to be as um, effective at this time as we can. Um, there's still a lot of unknowns. We'll have another one of these after the pandemic's over, and I hope we have a big party together. 
That conversation about what's coming requires us to look at what's happening in the church and the world in general. So I'm going to give you a picture of the state of the church um, post-enlightenment. So I want you to stick with me. How are people today doing in general? Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what you're seeing. Um, People are engaging online to the best of their abilities, but these relationships are strained. We have known for a long time that social media was an inadequate substitute for face-to-face relationships. We have known that. But we are experiencing that on a mass scale that none of us can fully comprehend the effect that it's having on people. We're engaging online, but our relationships are strained. It's not the same as being in the room. We're seeing that in the conversation on race, the conversation on justice issues, the conversation on the election, and that when we have a friend in the room with us, we may filter what we say, or we may be a little less in your face because I care about you, you're my friend, and while I may believe this and have a conversation with you, I'm going to be a little more careful about what I say, but what we've seen in social media is the filters have dropped. And we say it to through a loudspeaker to an audience that we are not looking at saying, I care for you, I love you, you're more important to me than this issue. Instead, it comes across that I'm just an angry person. <laughs> and I shared this with you about the election not too many weeks ago, that as the church, we have to be careful how we portray ourselves online because lost people are watching And when we denigrate and demean people because they have different opinions than us, it is, they're not going to listen when we want to talk about Jesus. But people are engaging, relationships are strained. One thing I'm seeing in mass is that if anything was breaking before quarantine, it is broken now. That includes relationships, that includes marriages. That includes relationships with your children. And that includes relationships at work. Um, it includes our churches. And if those if churches were breaking before the quarantine, they are broken now. What I mean by that is, if you were tense in, at home, if you and your spouse were already having conflict, the added stress and pressure that you've been dealing with is, has brought it to a boiling point, and many, um, many marriages are calling it quits right now. That's Sorry, you. I could Thanks, Siri. Well, that was me. That was Siri. Uh, she was sorry. She didn't understand what I was saying. That's because you you're not married, Siri. You're not married. Um, yeah, this is a crazy tech day. So with all of, the, with all of that... Um, happening. I am concerned for relationships. Our churches that were struggling financially before are, are, are close to closing their doors today. Our churches that were lacking community before, in other words, we showed up and we did our thing, but we didn't talk to anybody. Those churches are really struggling and those, that lack of community among the church is really evident today. Um, what all of our statisticians and pollsters tell us, of which we know that they aren't always trustworthy, and as some would say, you can make a stat, say anything you want, um, church involvement does continue to decline for now. What some um, consultants and researchers would have us believe is that the church is in dire trouble. That the cause of Christ is in great danger of disappearing. And that what we once knew will never be again. And one of the reasons we believe this is because we are no longer students of history. We have not looked at the trends and patterns that have happened for the last 2,000 years. And when we do that, what we find is that the church is not in trouble, but the church is changing. And that changing is significant in some ways. People in general today are struggling. I believe their main struggle is relationally. Anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. Lots of very bad things are on the rise as a result of this. But what about the church? 
I'm going to get to some of those things in a minute. The Spanish flu um, was an H1N1 flu that um, started right after the end of World War I. And the devastation in the world was overwhelming. More people died from the Spanish flu than died in World War I. And it came right at the tail of World War I. Um, it lasted for two years, and it created within people the sense of what's next. Do you feel that? Like, what's going to go wrong next? We have the war. We got out of the war. Now we have this terrible flu, and we have just millions of people that are dying. What we also have, interestingly at this time, is some national unity because the war is over. And we have churches that have went through the exact same thing we've gone through through this quarantine period in which they closed their doors and they didn't do online and they didn't do Zoom. Instead, they took their sermon notes or their sermon outlines and they sent them to the newspaper or they put a, printed a pamphlet and they stuck pamphlets on the outside of the church and people got it by print. How do we stay connected while they went through all of this? The question was, is the church gonna, going to... Um, survive. Most historians tell us that the Spanish flu had a zero net effect on the church. After two years, the church didn't die. Church didn't grow, really, but the church didn't die. It basically, whatever you did before the Spanish flu, you returned to after the Spanish flu was over. That's what the Spanish flu tells us. Now, there are some differences between 1920 and 2020. So how are churches today? Barna, our uh, probably preeminent church statistician, uh, said a couple of months ago that one in five churches will close in the next 18 months. We'll see if that happens. Uh, they've said lots of things that haven't happened, but we'll see. It's possible some are going to close. It's unlikely many are going to get started in the middle of a pandemic. It's possible, but unlikely. Barna says one in five churches are going to close in the next 18 months. What we know in working with pastors are that pastors are struggling and burned out. Some of our pastors are flaming out right now. Uh, many of our networks, we have circled the wagons, and we have, for the most part, said we have now got to take all the emphasis we've been putting in church unity and injustice and in all the things we've been doing and we need to take all that energy and we've got to put it in some of our church leaders because our church leaders aren't doing well. Now there are some indicators on whether or not a, a pastor is doing well or not. Um, one is finances. Um, you guys have been very generous. I haven't worried about our church's finances this whole pandemic. That's been a really wonderful thing and I am very thankful to you for that. One is the age of their church and how old the members are of their church because um, some of my friends have been doing funeral after funeral after funeral while not having any of the positive things that happen by meeting together. And their ability to engage technology um, has been a big indicator of how well churches have been able to survive through this. Um, younger churches have a tendency to do better and as far as pastors go, bivocational pastors like myself tend to do better than full-time pastors because my job's secure, even if Journey's no longer here, which I believe Journey is going to be here, by the way. Don't hear me say it's not. Um, my job is secure, and um, all of our staff's jobs right now are secure. Um, they fear for their congregations. They have, we have decision overload, which is, is this wise? Should, we, should, I, should you be here today? Should we let you be here today? Should you be online? Those kinds of decisions are tough. How do you, how do you manage stuff? And, and who do you go to? Caregivers are overwhelmed and pastoral counseling is through the roof. <laughs> and so um, pastors are giving a lot. Um, on top of that, the fatigue of watching church members argue has taken a huge toll. Whether you're arguing about a candidate or you're arguing about masks or you're arguing about um, who's trying to control us, uh, it's taken a toll because our heart and our 
career is about bringing people together, not watching them be torn apart. So that's created some fatigue. They're dealing with their own COVID stuff, just like everybody else is. And for full-time pastors, especially of smaller churches, more established older churches, are really looking at the possibility of losing their jobs without the ability to step into another like um, similar income. I'm doing pretty well. Many of you have asked about me. I'm doing pretty well. I think our staff is, is for the most part, doing pretty well. So, But I want you to understand the state of the church is not just about how we're doing. Um, the reality, and this is where I hope you guys don't bug out because this is all important, and this is why this is how we talk about what happens after COVID. The reality of the church is every statistic out there says the church is in decline. There's the rise of the nuns. If you're into the lingo, that means those who are not affiliated with any church or any faith, they're just, they're, they're not non-religious. The rise of the nuns is um, at an all-time high. And those who are already leaning in that direction, COVID has caused them to jump full force into it. Um, the reality is the church has been in decline since before I was born, since the 1960s. And for us to pretend that somehow something has happened and the church is somehow in terrible shape today in, in 2020 belies the fact uh, that church, churches ebb and flow throughout history for a number of different reasons. The church has been in decline since the 60s. There's a reason for that. Church attendance in the 1700s, right around the time of enlightenment, um, was around 17% of the population. 17% of the population attended church in the 1700s. After the, uh, the Revolutionary War in America, we had a huge spike in church attendance, and we were at somewhere around 34%. We doubled which is still significantly less than the number of people who attend church today. <laughs> significantly less. Um, the revolution was affected by lots of different things, including enlightenment, which actually caused the church to grow. And if, you're not, if you don't remember your church history, um, the enlightenment was the time in which science and reason began to, to, to grow in popularity and fame, and it began to, in some historians' eyes, attack the idea of faith and church. The numbers don't bear that out. In fact, the church began to expand rapidly post-enlightenment because it's, it's been a, a fairly recent dynamic that says that the church and science are at odds with each other. It's a fairly recent dynamic because at that time, as new scientific discoveries were being made, for the most part, people said, hey, this is interesting. We're seeing the boundaries in which God has created with. And so there wasn't a divorce of science from faith. There was an understanding that science shows us what God has been doing and how things work. And we think that's neat. And there was actually a, a growth of the church through um, enlightenment in the 1700s on into the two great awakenings. But something began to happen in those great awakenings that has affected us to today, and we're only today seeing some of the effects that have happened through the Reformation, through the Great Awakenings, and we're dealing with those repercussions, and if we don't recognize those repercussions, then we are going to continue to be a church that maybe will still be here, but we will be irrelevant and ineffective in changing the lives of our community. I don't want that. We started a journey not to be that. Not to be just a place where we come and we hug and we say we love Jesus and then we go and we have no effect on the community because we believe the church should have a positive effect on the community. That's what we've been seeking. That's what we've been searching for. That's what we've been wanting. Um, and I want you to know we're doing it in a time still of rapid decline, but nowhere near where we were pre-enlightenment, pre-great awakening. We didn't see church growth really take off in America until the 1920s. And this is immediately after World War I and the end of the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu ended in 1920, as did the beginning of the greatest period of church growth in American history, post-Spanish flu. Now, lots of reasons for that. It was already on an upward trend, not a declining trend, 
but it was already at really historically low numbers, so it's not like that the upward trend was anything to, to shout about. Um, it peaked from the 20s into the 50s and 60s um, after World War II ended, and there was great prosperity within our world. There was peace, and it's been declining ever since. All right, so here's our graph. Let me, let me tell you what happened here. 1952, 1960, late 50s, early 60s was the highest point of church involvement um, in our nation's history. Now, church involvement does not mean faith in Christ. I think it's important that we say that. Um, but um, it's more likely there's faith in Christ if there's church involvement than if there's not. So right at the end of the, of the 40s, World War II ended. We were as happy as a people ever were that lived on this continent. Uh, maybe, except for those people maybe lived here before us. I don't know. <laughs> but we were as happy as Americans have ever lived on this continent at this time because there was such great national unity. We were combined. We were united. Um, hey, we got together. We beat Hitler. We love each other. We're here for each other. We're doing life together. Things are good. The adults at the time were the builders. Technology's growing, it's advancing, interstate's being built, factories are growing, people are working. Um, some of the things we benefit from today were from the builders. The builders were called the greatest generation because of the benefits that they gave our nation at this time. And post-war, they started doing something um, that we all are familiar with that often happen after crises. They started having lots and 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 lots of kids. The boomers, who are the largest generation in our nation's history. And interestingly, young families have a tendency to go back to church. Now that I've got this kid, and I don't know what to do with him, and I think I need some help. And they would come to the church. In addition, the churches have been being built in just one right after the other, and they have, by this point, become kind of the center of social culture in America. And starting around 1950s, 1960s, we begin to decline. And you can see the graph as it drops to where we, this one ends in 2012. You can see it starts to decline, some sharp decline, levels off in the kind of the 80s and the 90s, and then around the turn of the millennium, and we have a sharp drop off again. This is in general what's happening within the church in our country. But I want you to see from this graph is the 50s and 60s were a time that the church grew to great um, you know, prominence. They were building buildings, and there was an increase in wealth within the church, and a lot of the churches that you see around were built during this time. And it was a time that life was good, and therefore God is good. There's no war. Life is good. We're united. Life is good. Our nation's building, we're building factories, people have jobs, money's coming in, we're making more money than we have, we're not only making, paying for our needs, we're paying for our wants. Life is good. God is good. And the problem when we understand what God wants us to know about him is that God is good even when life is not. In fact, Jesus taught us oftentimes life's not going to be good, but God is good. In the world and in our nation, when life is good, the church tends to grow and God is good. So the church has been in decline. Here are some, uh, let me go through some just quick things that have also, these are correlations. Now, correlation is not causation. Correlation means they may have an effect on each other, but that doesn't mean they caused them. Next one, next slide. Interestingly, during this same time between the 60s and 2016, while the church is in great decline, state-led conflict in the world is, is increasing. It's an interesting correlation between the amount of war that we're fighting and the number of people that believe God is good and want to be a part of the church. It has a, there's a, seems to be some type of correlation here. War is good for sometimes the economy of a nation. It is not good for the faith of a nation. Next slide. This is a very sobering graphic. 
that starts back in 1900. You can actually watch it from 1920, and you can see that top gray line between 2000 and 2020. We have had an incredible spike in what is called deaths of despair. Now, a death of despair um, in the lingo of our government, the CDC, and those that track these numbers is anyone that has died from some behavior that has tried, it's caused them to want to escape life. Um, dying from cirrhosis of the liver, dying from, um, you know, lung cancer, dying from suicide, um, you know, drunk driving, things like that. Deaths of despair are when you die as a result of a behavior because you're in despair. You can see they're skyrocketing between 2000 and 2020. Next one. This is anxiety rates that you can see from 98 to 2018. From 2012 to 2018, in six years, you see a skyrocketing rate of anxiety growing amongst people. And if you want to look at the legend, what you'll find is that this affects women far more than men. This is why we see so much anxiety growing among women today. I, why is that? I, this graph doesn't answer why that is. It just says that is what is happening during this time. Men, I think, are, are pretty constant because I think men are, for the most part, oblivious, right? I don't know if that's official, but I think that's some truth to that, all right? Um, highest number of anxiety growth between 2012 and 2018 are women between the ages of 18 and 24, starting out in life, perhaps starting to have a family, though interestingly, marriage and childbirthing is in massive decline right now. Next slide. Um, a researcher by the name of, I think his name was Bowden, I, I, no, Downey, Downey, through the University of Chicago did a study, and he did a correlation between Internet use and the number of people that would call themselves unaffiliated within the church. And he believed there was a direct correlation, if not causation, between these two things. As Internet use has skyrocketed, so has the belief that I have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And there are a number of reasons that he said that is. One of those reasons is because um, you now, with as a result of the Internet, you have access to um, information about all kinds of religions. And maybe you just think they're all the same, and so I don't believe in any religion anymore. Um, it could be that uh, we have gained so much knowledge that we assume God is not necessary because look at all the knowledge we can gain on the Internet. And yet what researchers tell us is the, the gap between knowledge and wisdom is widening daily. Like I know a bunch of stuff, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to interpret it. I don't know how to live my life as a result. Internet use has also increased a lot of risky behaviors. Pornography consumption has gone through the roof, as has it increased substantially through the pandemic. And what we see as this breaking down of real face-to-face -face relationships, the Internet has aided in that. And social media has, depending on who you listen to, had a negative um, effect on us in general. Interesting. We'll talk about that another time. Next slide. And interestingly, between 1900 and 2015, life expectancy has increased dramatically, doubled in the last hundred years, so that now we're living much longer. Now, does this have anything to do with people walking away from God? I, I, there's no causation here. Correlation, possibly. Um, you walk away from God, you live longer. No. Um, we live longer, we see less need for any concern about life after death because we live for so long. Possibly, maybe not, I don't know. So those are some trends that are happening around the world. There are many other trends we could talk about, but I'm already out of time. I want to close with this. Where do we go from here? First Chronicles 12.32 talks about a group of people, the tribe of Issachar in the Old Testament, and it said this about them. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders in the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. So these are some signs of the times. The question is, do we have the wisdom to know what to do with this information? 
Interestingly, Jesus talks about this group of people in Matthew chapter 16, and he says this, when the Pharisees ask for a sign to prove that you are not just some man talking, but you are the Son of God, Matthew 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he, Jesus, answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. I feel like I should break out in song right here. I'm not going to do it. Issachar was a group of people that set themselves apart because they could read what was going on in the world and they just instinctively knew what Israel was supposed to do. The church has to return to the likes of the tribe of Issachar. We have to read the times. We have to recognize that the largest group of unaffiliated people in the church today are teenagers and young adults. We have to read the times. Protestant Reformation, the Great Awakenings, moved us to a place where the church was about the inner experience. We even call our worship service worship experiences. It was all about the inward experience. There was a divorcing of the inward experience and the outward practical living of life. I come to church to feel good. I come for the, to come for the worship service that makes me happy and I'm excited. And, blah, 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 and But then I walk out of here and I never think about God again. It's caught up to us. We have a group of people today professing faith in Christ, talking about I love Jesus, but I hate you. It's caught up to us. Before the Great Awakenings, before this became, this inner experience was what everything was about, how you feel about stuff, there was a commitment and a love and a hope in Christ that was based on living life with him one step at a time. And while many of us still practice this, it feels as if the church is going by the wayside. How do we read these signs of the times? Inner experience is important. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you've noticed we've spent less and less time on the worship experience. Because we found that people would like the worship experience with all the bells and whistles, but it didn't mean they actually loved Jesus or wanted to follow him. That's not why we started this church. So where do we go from here? I think that we return to the things our mantras or whatever we have said in the past, that we are to love God and to love each other. We have to do that. These are old expressions, but we need to find new ways of loving people. And we have to believe in something bigger than the worship experience. We have to believe in community. We have to believe in what God wants to do. We have to believe that God has a role for each of us. We have to believe that every single day our faith is important to practice it that we practice what we preach because when we don't practice what we preach, we turn off a lot of people. We can't shy away from the tough conversations. We have to continue talking about justice. We have to talk about people that are being hurt. We have to do it even when it makes us uncomfortable. We have to have those conversations. Racial injustice is not the gospel, but I believe that is something Jesus would have us to deal with in whatever way we can. We have to have a rebirth of authenticity. What we see on the inside is the same on the outside. And I know I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of people, but this is what the church needs. We've got to see authenticity grow. I've been feeling for a while that to go forward, we as a church have to go backwards, which is never good for a pastor to say. That's why we ended our series on race with two series, one called Jesus is Essential and the next Love, Walk, Do. Love, mercy, walk humbly, do justice. We've got to return to the things that are most important to us. It doesn't mean we stop doing worship. It doesn't mean all of a sudden worship, you know, we worship in the dark or without heat and air or stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, it means we are focused on things outside of worship where worship is not the primary expression of our faith. It's an expression, not the primary. 
We've got to remember some of the practices of those who came before us. We've been doing that. Last last, uh, year we started doing Maundy Thursday services, Good Friday services, Lent, Palm Sunday. We've done some of the services that we haven't done in years past, um, but yet they've been shared for thousands of years or for hundreds of years, some of them. And, And so we do that with our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of the things that we do are remembering the practices of those who came before us. And, and there's value there. There's a reemergence of disciplines that grow our faith and they sharpen our practice. And they give us a foundation by which we live and that our faith lives. We need to reimagine and return to some of those disciplines that grow our faith rather than being more concerned with how do you feel and uh, I just want to tell you about Jesus. Yes, I want to tell you about Jesus, but Jesus also instituted lots of disciplines for his disciples to follow him. Some of those disciplines we have to rediscover are prayer and knowing God's word. If you've been a Christian for years and yet you still don't know much of the Bible, we've got to change that. And I, it can't be from sermons. It has to be from your own study. I want us to spend some time as a church praying over the next few months. I want to create some opportunities for you to see this place as a place to come and pray, to get away from work, to get away from other things going on that you can get away just to be quiet and to pray. You've got to be focused on prayer and God's word and loving others more fully, which does continue to look like supporting the food pantry, does continue to look like being involved with, with justice issues. It does continue to look like doing things with Room in the Inn and Widow's Harvest and some of the other things we're doing and maybe new things that we haven't been doing. And I believe it's for a stronger call to spiritual maturity than just us being open to the unchurched. That's been our mantra. The unchurched, the unchurched, the unchurched. We've got to have a higher bar than just getting people who don't go to church to come to church. Yes, that's important. Yes, the unchurched has always been on my heart and mind, and and it continues to be on my heart and mind. But we as a church, looking at what's happening around us, have to be focused on growing, becoming more spiritually mature, and demonstrating the truth and reality of what it means to know and follow Christ, not just come to church. Again, I'm going to be speaking to the choir here. It means we're engaging our faith. It means we're engaging our faith communities. Um, I'm going to leave you with this. This is what I've already said that once. I really mean it this time. Jake shared this with me a while back. We talked about it in, with college students uh, last week. And it's the oldest study on happiness um, that's ever been conducted. Uh, it's conducted by Harvard. And they were trying to determine what causes a person's happiness. (laughs) Um, And so they compared graduates from Harvard and then then their children um, about their quality of life and their happiness in life to um, inner city, um, a a selection of inner city youth um, and the inner city of Boston. I'm going to read you what they found caused happiness in life. And then we're going to pray and um, close out. The surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That is the revelation. The people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. That finding proved true across the board among both the Harvard men and the inner city participants. Happiness is wrapped up in relationships. We can't work on those right now. I mean, we can, but it's not the same. That's going to be one of our primary goals moving forward is the building of relationships, rebuilding in some places. 
So we don't know what's everything that's going to happen. We don't know everything that should happen. Um, we have to be a church who seeks to understand what's happening. What, we have to understand the times and understand what do we do with that. Now, typically in church leadership, that means the pastor does it. As if the pastor is the wisest person in the room. Uh, not, not usually the case. Maybe the best looking. That's about it. And usually then not the case either. But... I want to involve you in this process, and I know I've gone way over, and I said I wouldn't, but I did. Um, I want to involve you in this process because I want this to be a community event over these next few months where we seek to read the times and we chart a path together that may look similar to things we've done in the past, or some things may look completely different. Some things may go away. Some new things may come. If you would like to pray with me and be involved in some regular conversations, probably by Zoom, about the times that we're seeing, that we're reading, and our involvement in them moving forward, I'd like to hear from you. These are conversations our leadership is having, but I would like to involve our whole church because that's Jesus said, the whole church is required for the church to be healthy. And what we are seeking is health moving forward from here. Our church is, uh, I'm excited about how we've weathered the pandemic. I'm excited about our role in our community once the pandemic is over. But I would invite you to pray with me as we seek to reverse some of these trends in our city. Father, um, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are faithful. You always have been faithful. You always will be faithful. And I pray that you would show us what it looks like to know, understand these times. Give us wisdom as we as we read what's happening, and give us the courage to act on those things. Father, I I know that there are good days ahead for the church. I know there are good days ahead for our church. And, Father, I just pray that you would show us how we can not just follow you faithfully, but we can lead others to do the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.